Welcome to Working for Women, the independent women's forum podcast, where we are changing the conversation about women and public policy for the better. Hello, I'm Hadley Heath Manning, Director of Health Policy at the Independent Women's Forum. Today, I'm here with Jillian Melcher, a senior fellow at IWF and a reporter for National Review. Today, we're going to be discussing some birth control politics and recent attempts to move the pill to over-the-counter status. Thank you for joining me today, Jillian. Thank you for having me. Uh, So first, I just want to give our audience some information in case they didn't know. There are many different types of contraception, including condoms, which are available over the counter. But the pill or the traditional 28-day pill that's still the most popular form of birth control is only available with a prescription. Um, So just in the past several years, though, the Food and Drug Administration has moved the Plan B pill or the morning after pill, also known as emergency contraception, to over-the-counter status. So I guess you could say that Plan B is available over-the-counter, but Plan A is not. And, And that's always been kind of strange to me. So Jillian, can you talk to us a little bit about why you think this is, why this is the status quo? And also tell us about this latest proposal to make birth control available over the counter. Well, first of all, I definitely agree with you that it doesn't make a ton of sense to have Plan B available over the counter, but Plan A not. And I think part of the reason is political. Um, And it also has to deal with profit margins for big lotties. So when we're talking about the political costs, I think um, there's been a big push for the left to stake out war on women rhetoric to kind of consider itself, you know, if you look at the Affordable Care Act, for instance, um, one of the big things that the left has pushed forward is that it offers free birth control. But it is required by a prescription. And so that keeps women essentially beholden to their doctors. They have to go in, um, get the doctor's checkup visit. And that usually includes, you know, a pelvic exam, even though that's not relevant to, doesn't tell doctors much about whether or not you're a good candidate for birth control. But if you look at this, so that's the political that um, it's, you know, the left kind of staking out birth control is their issue. Then you've also got, um, you know, this is a big moneymaker. Even though American Congress of Obstetricians and Gynecologists has confirmed that doctors can safely prescribe the pill without an examination, that exam costs around $125. Women are often also pressured to have a pap test which is about $40. Um, You know, some may be pressured into having an HPV vaccine. Um, So I think, you know, Planned Parenthood alone makes around $1.2 billion each year from contraceptive services. So I think that's part of the reason that the industry is really pushed back against putting birth control over the counter. Wow. So just so we're clear here, this is um, lately there's been a, a new bill or something, maybe a new proposed piece of legislation that would change Uh, birth control to over-the-counter status? You're absolutely right. This is um, a proposal by Colorado Senator Cory Gardner. And what it would essentially do is... Well, wait a um, second. Wait a second, Jillian. He's a Republican. Oh, yes, absolutely. (laughs) And it's interesting, too. It's really interesting, too, to look at how he won the race in Colorado because it was a very tight race, very controversial race. And his Democratic opponent threw a lot of war on women rhetoric on him. Um, he ended up kind of triumphing over that. And part of the way that he did that was saying that one of the first things he would want to do in office is to seek over-the-counter status for birth control. So this is him making good on that promise. Um, I think it's it's a way for Republicans to kind of reclaim, um, you know, reproductive rights as as an issue for them. I mean, putting birth control over-the-counter improves access for women. 
Um, it's likely going to reduce unplanned pregnancies, reduce abortions, and it's still giving women more options over their own health care. So I think it's a pretty smart political move on his part. What this proposal would essentially do is give over-the-counter birth control fast-track status at the Food and Drug Administration, and it would also um, give it kind of priority for review so it would happen more quickly. That's bizarre that it would need fast-track status given that the pill has been around since the mid-1960s, right? Yeah, I mean, if you look at other things that are over-the-counter, um, take acetafetamine, for example. That's something that kills about 150 Americans every single year. With birth control, it's relatively safe. The directions are straightforward. Um, there's little risk of overdose. Um, and this is something that women can decide by reading a warning label, whether or not there's, it's a safe option for them. Um, critics like to point out, for example, that there's a risk of, uh, you know, like blood clots. But if you compare blood clots in women that are taking birth control to blood clots in women that are pregnant, pregnancy is actually the higher risk. So I think while this is not, you know, 100% safe, very few medicines are, if any. Um, and this is a relatively low-risk prescription um, that should be given over-the-counter status. Right, and the risks of not using contraceptives or being behind because you haven't picked up your most recent monthly refill, uh, of course, there's a great risk of pregnancy. We had an event at IWF earlier this month where Elizabeth, Isabel Sawhill noted that to women under the age of 30, unmarried women, 73% of them said that their pregnancies were unplanned. And so obviously this is a big issue facing the country, and that's why birth control politics are big on, on the left and have become maybe more recently big on the right because of these assertions that Republicans are opposed to birth control. Um, but I guess I, I think it's ironic that we've got a Republican here, Cory Gardner, leading the charge to fast-track birth control and the FDA's uh, over-the-counter status approval. Um, but do you think, Jillian, that Republicans like Cory Gardner are, are sincerely uh, interested in this issue, sincerely care about the plight of women with an unpregged, uh, unplanned pregnancy? Or uh, do you think that, that we'll hear charges that this is just political theater, that this is just a response to the war on women rhetoric? Well, you know, I, I do think it's sincere, um, and I think it's sincere because there's been so much of a backlash on this. This is something that has scared a lot of, you know, Democratic politicians, that has scared a lot of people on the left, um, and they've come out really in criticism of this bill, and I think that's because, you know, it, it takes away a liberal talking point. The left has decided, you know, for example, with the Free Birth Control and the Affordable Care Act, it allows them to, you know kind of throw out this war on women rhetoric, this misogyny rhetoric, um, instead of engaging the right on the actual economic debate around the health law. And so I think, you know, just the amount of criticism that's come from it is also, you know, it, it's got interest behind it, I guess. It's a little bit cynical. Um, but, you know, I think this is something that would hugely benefit women. There was uh, one study that was released just last February. It was by the University of California, San Francisco, and the nonprofit Ibis Reproductive Health, it found that if birth control went over the counter, unwanted pregnancies could decline as much as 25%. And I think one of the most uh, amazing findings of that study was that it would particularly benefit low-income women. So when you start taking that into consideration, um, it's no surprise that a recent Reason Roop poll found that 70% of Americans support making birth control available over the counter. I think this is something that has public support and is gaining political momentum. 
Great. Yeah. Well, you mentioned ACOG, the American Congress of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, and they're the country's largest organization of women's health doctors. So I've read some of their materials about oral contraceptives and how they suggest and and believe that those should be available over the counter. But they've also expressed concern over affordability, the affordability of birth control. Um, They sort of side with Planned Parenthood on this because they like the provision in the Affordable Care Act that requires insurance companies to provide first dollar coverage for birth control. Um, So can you talk a little bit more about that requirement, what's wrong with that requirement from an economic perspective, and also whether or not there could be a world, a potential policy outcome where birth control is available over the counter, but there's also some insurance coverage options for birth control? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the problem with it is, you know, it's marketed as free birth control, but we're paying for it. (laughs) We're paying for it in the form of higher insurance coverage. Um, but I think, you know, Gardner's proposal um, wouldn't necessarily make birth, over-the-counter birth control, um, it wouldn't stop insurers necessarily from covering it. In fact, one of the co-sponsors specifically spoke to that and said that nothing in the bill changes current insurance coverage for contraceptives. But even if they did drop coverage of the pill, I think still think it's going to help with accessibility and cost. And there's a good reason for that. We have an example. Um, Claritin used to be a prescription-only medication. It went over the counter in 2002, and almost immediately its price cut in half. Today, if you look at it, consumers who are smart shoppers, buy in bulk, um, can get a month's supply for less than $3. It really increases the amount of competition. Um, And so I think that kind of exerts a downward pressure on the price of birth control. Wow, so price competition. I think if you want long-term affordability, this is the way to go. Right. We don't see a lot of price competition uh, in in a lot of places in our healthcare system because there's just not price information available. So uh, is what you're saying that if if birth control is available over the counter, then women as consumers would have more price information than they could make a, a decision based on value? Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. They'd be able to make a decision not only based on the risks that they're willing to take with birth control, but also definitely on value and definitely on, you know, how it affects their body. Let's talk about some of the other concerns that that critics of this proposal might have. Uh, I read in an article, Jillian, in in U.S. News & World Report, uh, one woman saying that this might provide child abusers or sex traffickers with the opportunity to sort of suppress their victims or might result, I'm I'm afraid there's some people who think that this might result in women skipping their physical exams or their pap tests, not staying up to date on their preventive care. That seems to be a concern that some doctors have because I've I've run into this myself. Many doctors don't like to prescribe birth control unless a woman's up to date on her preventive care. Personally, I feel that's a little um, paternalistic that they would use birth control to lure women into a doctor's visit. But is there any concern pragmatically that uh, moving birth control to over-the-counter status could aid sex traffickers or uh, cause more women to skip the, the test that they need to stay up to date on? Well, I don't think that it would aid sex traffickers. I, you know, I, I don't think they're making the calculation. Um, in, in other words, I don't think that having birth control available is going to stop somebody that's just doing something evil, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, they do have access to condoms right now. Um, but I and Plan say, B. Yeah, and Plan B, absolutely. So I think, you know, that argument doesn't really hold weight. Um, as far as women skipping exams, um, you know, that's kind of a woman's responsibility to do. And if she chooses not to do it, that's definitely her prerogative as well. 
I really dislike this sort of um, paternalistic attitude that we're going to link preventive care, which certainly has its role in the healthcare system, with a completely unrelated service. If you're going in getting a pelvic exam, that's not telling the doctor anything about whether or not you're a good candidate for birth control. Um, you know, it, it can tell about STDs, it can tell about things like cervical cancer, but it's not giving doctors any valuable information. So I think it, it's a little bit condescending to women to do that. You know, it's, I like to say it's roughly the equivalent of linking condom purchases to prostate exams. Right. So maybe I guess we, we could just call this an individual responsibility. It's your individual responsibility to seek preventive care, and it's also your individual responsibility to seek contraceptives that suit your lifestyle or your level of sexual activity. Um, but it, it, I think it would be a different matter maybe if those tests or that preventive care did tell us something about you know whether or not a woman was a good candidate for birth control. But from what I understand, they're completely unlinked, as you, as you mentioned. So Jillian, I know you're not uh, uh, psychic or... Uh, you don't have any prophetic gifts, as far as I know, when it comes to predicting the future of legislation. Um, but what do you think? Where do you think this issue is going? Do you think this is going to pass in Congress? Do you think President Obama would consider signing something like this? You know, I, I would give its chances about 50 50. I think there's a lot of political opposition to it. But that political opposition is more from, you know, the left being afraid that it's going to lose a talking point in its war on women rhetoric. And it's also from lobby groups like Planned Parenthood fearing that they're going to lose money from this. So I think the political opposition to it is going to be rigorous. But at the same time, public support is growing. And I think on, on the right, this is something that Republicans are, are seeing as an opportunity to reach out to women and to provide something that's actually going to serve that constituency. So I would imagine that, you know, this isn't the last we're going to hear of it. Any guesses as to how the president feels about over-the-counter birth control options? Well, I mean, we did see movement with Plan B under the Obama administration, so it's possible that he'd support it. Right, and I imagine so long as his uh, signature achievement, the Affordable Care Act, the provisions requiring first-dollar coverage, as long as that wasn't touched in the legislation, then maybe he would consider it. It certainly changes the political landscape and provides, I think, an opportunity for Republicans to neutralize that talking point. Um, but I think as, as long as it doesn't change the way the Affordable Care Act requires the financing of birth control, at least for women with insurance coverage, uh, then that might be a, a door opening for President Obama to maybe agree with the Republican Cory Gardner on this issue. Uh, yeah, is there any great opportunity for bipartisan agreement? That's right. And I think could benefit so many women because, you know, we talk about costs, but the costs aren't just the costs of the drugs themselves. The costs are, as you mentioned earlier, the cost of your doctor's visit, the cost of the required tests or the test that your doctor may uh, perceive to be um, necessary for you at any given point before he or she writes you the prescription that you're looking for. Um, but Jillian, is there anything else about, you know, birth control politics or what's happening in Congress right now or uh, what's happening in the lead up to the 2016 elections that you think people need to be aware of? You know, I, just to add to what you're talking about with sort of the hidden costs with this, one thing that really caught me by surprise was looking at some of the research on this, um, putting it over the counter would really benefit low-income women in particular. And that's not only because they would have better access you a cheap pill over the counter. It would also, you know, if they decided not to go to the doctor every year, it would save them time. And these are women who are often working minimum wage jobs, don't have a lot of time. So I think just that time cost, just that missing out on work um, is a big factor. And this would really empower them to do it on a, on a basis that's best for their own personal health. 
Absolutely. We talk a lot about work-life balance at IWF and workplace flexibility, but we often note that some of the jobs uh, that are entry-level or more accessible to low-income women or low-skilled women tend to be also the least flexible jobs in, in many senses. So getting those hours off to go to a doctor's appointment uh, can be particularly stressful or difficult for, for women uh, in that subpopulation that you're talking about. Um, so thank you so much for this information, Jillian. Thanks for joining us and being our guest on today's uh, edition of IWF's Working for Women podcast. I'd like to say to our listeners, thank you for your time. And you can also find out more information about this topic and many others at iwf.org. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please give it a thumbs up, share it on social media, or stop by iwf.org for similar content.